host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockeypedia cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me for the first time this season is my good buddy, Rob Pizzola. Rob, what's going on, man? Yeah, it's good to talk to you, Dmitry. It's exciting. I, uh, in preparation for this show, I went back and listened to some of the ones we've done in the past. I think we've done about four or five PDO casts together. And uh, my favorite of the bunch was actually the first one we did, which was all the way back in December 2018. Uh, I was staying in a nice little Airbnb in Toronto and you came over. We had a couple of beers. We talked about the state of sports gambling and how it relates to the NHL. And I think at the time in listening to it, like the NHL had just signed a deal with like BetMGM or something. And they were like talking about unveiling all this new tracking technology and data during their broadcast to allow you to do like live prop bets while you're watching games from in arena and stuff like that. And um, five years later here, uh, not that much has changed. I feel like we could just kind of replay that episode and it would be pretty valid for the most part, which is interesting, uh, potentially alarming, maybe frustratingly so that not that much has evolved or adapted over time, but uh, here we are. Yeah. I remember that pretty vividly as well. I mean, it's sort of a criticism of the NHL, but not really when you consider the fact that pretty much all of the major North American sports right now are in that same ballpark where they've just kind of been slow to react. You obviously see a lot of advertising of sports books during games, but the product itself is very, very similar to what it was in 2018. Um, so definitely looking for that evolution to take place at some point. But right now, I think uh, we're still in the very infancy of sports betting. Um, I know it's driving a lot of people crazy watching the broadcasts and the incorporation of sports betting into it, but it's only going to evolve uh, over time. It's just a matter of when that happens. I, I will say, though, I know you're a big NFL guy. Um, watching some of these broadcasts, I believe like the the Monday nighters in particular or whatever, I think they do a really interesting job. Not that it's necessarily very like predictive, but in terms of telling the story of what you're watching and maybe kind of like giving you peeling back a few layers of the onion. Um, they like bring up these stats sometimes where it's like the, this was completion yards over expected or something, or like mm-hmm. it shows like what the pro- probability of this completion happening was based on all these factors. And I, I find that stuff really cool. That's something that I think that I was hoping in these intervening four or five years, the NHL would have gotten a better grasp of in terms of using some of this information to tell those stories. Not that it necessarily relates to the prop prop market by any means, but just from that angle, I think that's something where we can be a bit more critical of the NHL compared to other sports. It's not an apples to apples comparison though, because when you look at Sunday night football, Chris Collinsworth is the uh, color commentator on, on Sunday night football, and he's a part owner of pro football focus, which is an advanced stats website and they incorporate a lot of what Pro Football Focus does directly into that broadcast. We typically don't see that with the Thursday night Amazon broadcast. We don't see a ton of it with Monday night football. So I think that's just kind of a one-off. That's not to say that football is not moving in that direction. It definitely is. Like the average fan is much more familiar with, I'll call it like new age metrics than they were previously. Um, And maybe they're a little bit of ahead of other sports, but there's still a lot to be done. One of the inherent challenges with all these broadcasts is that you just have such a wide demographic of people that's watching it, right? Um, You you know, you want to appeal to betters, but how do you appeal to betters without making the non-betters upset? Um, how How do you integrate something into the broadcast that like is all encompassing? No one's really solved that yet. I think it'll be a while before that happens, but that's, I think, the most challenging thing right now, Dimitri. Well... I, I don't think like the, it feels like the NHL's approach has been kind of heavy handed. Don't you think so? Like it feels like 
at times you're trying to force it into areas where it's not even really applicable. I do think there's certainly a, a large part of the of the viewership that just wants nothing to do with it and views it as like a problem and and just doesn't want that to be trickling into their broadcast. And, and that's fine. I think there's certain areas where you could apply it and it could actually be a part of the process and actually be additive um, and not necessarily be this kind of like sideshow uh, off to the side. But for whatever reason, the NHL hasn't really found that balancing act, I think, at all yet here in 2023. Well, there's there's a million things at play. And particularly when you're dealing with sports books, um, you know, you want to satisfy the sports books desire and the needs to have what they want promoted, promoted. But you want to do that in a way that promotes responsible gaming. You can't just keep hitting people over the head with the same thing over and over. But really... I mean, I have a different perspective because I've been betting since I was a teenager. So this is, you know, you know, I look at the broadcast, I don't see anything that's, you know, out of line for me or, or weird, but I will say that it, it's insane if sports leagues don't want to embrace the fantasy player props side of things, because that's what drives a lot of engagement, right? Like, Listen, I'm an NHL fan. I'll probably still watch hockey, even if I'm not betting it on hockey, but I'm probably not going to watch it every night. And if I'm not playing season-long fantasy or daily fantasy, I'm not going to be as in tune with the league and the players. So I, I think you, they really have to step into that and embrace it. That's definitely going to upset a certain portion of the population, right? My father watches hockey games on, on Saturday night. As soon as he sees the live betting odds come up on the broadcast, you know, he's going to have a, a seizure. It's like, what's going on here? But you're not going to be able to appease everyone. I think you have to do it in a way that, you know, the thing with betting is you don't have to hit people over the head with here are the odds and like go and bet this. Now you can incorporate betting by just talking about probabilities, how Austin Matthews being injured affects the betting line and what that means in terms of a percentage, how a backup goalie, Brian Elliott starting instead of Andre Vasilevsky in a game, how that impacts the market and what people view that as a downgrade. And I think that's a way to appeal to both, bases but right now that doesn't happen it's just it's just one way or the other well that's what that's exactly what i'm saying i think as a storytelling device there is kind of a, a balancing act to be found there because think of, for example like over the past couple of years i feel like it's just become such more so much more commonplace right? i guess the popularity has increased of like same game parlays where you're basically picking all three forwards on a line or on a, on a power play unit to all get a point in that game right or, or you're playing shot props or what have you there's ways to to not necessarily make it centered around the odds, but to kind of incorporate that into what's happening, especially with the changes that we've seen in the NHL product, which is that it's a much more high scoring environment. There's many more scoring events happening as a whole across the league. And so that ties into the kind of growth and popularity of this particular genre of betting. And I feel like there is an overlap between those two that can be sort of more organically integrated into the product. Yeah, I agree with you. It's just you really have to toe the line in how you do that because, you know, same game parlays are a, a pretty high hold product for a sports book. Typically, when you're going to get responsible gaming issues, it comes along with people who are consistently playing parlays and losing money in that fashion. Right. So, it, you know, it, there, there's not a great or obvious solution to this, obviously. And no matter, um, no matter what happens and how this is televised or aired on radio, how it's incorporated into whatever broadcast, there's always going to be a subset of the population that's upset about it, or it's not going to appeal to them. But I, I think that, you know, we, we go back to 2018 when we first had this conversation about betting and frankly, the lack of creativity in the span of five years is what's most surprising to me. Um, I think the struggle I have in watching Canadian broadcasts is 
they mirror exactly what I watched in the in the US that happened a couple years earlier, um, where it's just like, okay, this is what we're going to try to do. We're going to turn all of our our regular ESPN personality, and I'm not picking on ESPN. This is every network that did this, right? Yeah. But we're going to take our existing personalities and we're going to turn them into betting experts. Um, and some of these people don't bet or they're very new to it. And I, I thought it would be a little bit different in Canada. And, and the way it was received in the US was huh, probably, you know, not very good. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> um, but we have not seen any creativity, people really trying, you know, to swing for the fences, try something very unique and different. I think it's not in it's not blaming, you know, the companies themselves. You're working with sports books, they're paying a lot of money. You have to appease them in some sense. You're also working with the league, right? The NHL is specifically telling people, we don't want you to talk about X, Y, and Z on these broadcasts. You can't do it. So there's a lot of restrictions in place, but we've seen the same formula tested now in North America for about five years. And People just get upset watching this stuff on broadcast. It's not even really appealing to the betters right now, which is when you know it's an issue. I guess you would bump into what you were saying earlier about um, potentially not being able to fulfill contractual obligations with advertisers and sponsors. But I do wonder if the the best solution to kind of have your cake and eat it to or, or appease as much of the audience as you can is to just have an alternate broadcast where you like fully go in on it as opposed to just tiptoeing around the lines. Agreed. Like the BetCast idea, I think works, right? The NFL tried this with ManningCast and they got a lot of people who just went over to that broadcast where it's not traditional commentary of the game. It's Eli Manning, Peyton Manning, just breaking it down how they see it. Now that's not a betting cast, so to speak, but I, I think that maybe that's that maybe that's the solution and that we do see two separate broadcasts going forwards, one for the, the older demographic or the non-betting demographic and one for the demographic that embraces that. Um, I, I almost think that that has to happen at some point with the, with, you know, the backlash, um, that, that these broadcasts are facing now in terms of the way that they're covering gambling. Uh, I, I think that's a p- potential solution in the future, but then again, in, then sports books don't want to pay as much money for that either because they're right. not getting the exact same viewership numbers. So you, you create an, a, another problem altogether, but I think ultimately for, you know, in a perfect world, just for the viewership of that broadcast. I think that's the best solution. Hmm. Okay, let's get into some hopefully actionable advice or provide some some usable information. So I want to talk about the Stanley Cup odds market with you because it's got it feels like it's a kind of like a high leverage moment in time in the NHL season because we're about a week out from the NHL trade deadline. Theoretically, there's still some significant moves to be made with kind of contenders loading up and potentially swinging the pendulum even further in their direction. Now, when we saw the Leafs acquire Ryan O'Reilly, for example, their Stanley Cup odds improved very marginally, I think, especially it would surprise someone who doesn't isn't involved in the betting market at all and just knows Ryan O'Reilly as a former Selkie and Conn Smythe winner to see how little of an impact it actually had on the team's overall number. Um, you know, when we when the Rangers acquired Tarasenko, we also saw a bit of a move there. So do you think like this is a good time now to be, if you're into this sort of thing, like reading the tea leaves and then trying to kind of figure out, okay, where do I think Timo Meyer is going to go? He's going to have this amount of impact. This gives me a buying opportunity to jump in on whether it's the Devils or the Hurricanes futures before that line shifts when they make an eventual move within the next week. Uncertainty is typically an asset to the better. So yes, but you have to do this in a way where, I mean, it's not just guesswork, right? Like there needs to be some sort of 
quality work put into who's most likely to get this, uh, this certain player, who has the cap space to pull off something like that. And, and if you are good at predicting that, you certainly can get an edge in this market. However, you make a good point, Dimitri, like you look at the Tarasenko trade, you look at the Ryan O'Reilly trade, these are not shifting the market a whole lot. Um, Dom Lecision from The Athletic, he tweeted out that uh, he improved the, the, the Leaf Stanley Cup chances by a half a percentage point. By the from the Ryan O'Reilly trade from 9.1% to 9.6%. I'm a little bit higher than that with my numbers, 0.8%, but that's a, an impact player not even moving the needle 1%. So even if you're going to go out and, and take a shot on one of these teams, acquiring Timo Meyer, how much does that move the needle for a specific team? It's probably in the same ballpark, up, you know, half a percent to one percentage point. It's not like you're going to get a super valuable number. So it, it's hard to say. And you're tying up money for a long period of time, which is another thing as well, right? True. You're placing a bet now. That's basically like an interest-free loan to the sports book when you, if you look at it that way, three or four months interest-free loan that you're tying up that money for. So you can speculate. There's certain people who do this, but the NHL market is not one where you're going to see a ton of movement. The only, you know, the biggest trades you could possibly see at the deadline that would move and shift probability a whole lot is a, a team acquiring a starting goaltender mm -hmm. that would, um, that would drastically shift things because he's playing night in, night out. But the rest of these teams, it's not like the the NFL draft, for example. A draft market is in April this year where teams like a player to get picked in the top 10 might move from 20 to 1 to 2 to 1 over the course of a couple of days. We're not seeing that drastic of a shift. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I doubt along those lines, like a Karova Melko or, or a Yunus Corpusalo, even if they went to the Kings who have been really kind of submarined by their goaltending this season, despite everything else looking perfectly fine. Um, I doubt that in, a, in and of itself would shift the market that much to begin with, even though they are technically a starting goalie. Right. And, and like the things about these trades as well that people need to realize, look at the Ryan O'Reilly trade, for example, right? Uh, okay. It shifts the Leafs odds immediately, but the Leafs, I don't, I'm not saying that they're necessarily done here at the trade deadline, but the likelihood that they can acquire another big name player that's going to move the needle for them is almost next to nothing. So if you don't get that original line move, now that line settles at whatever it is now, at least to win the cup in the nine to one, 10 to one range um, for Stanley cup winner. Well, now you've just kind of lost all the value on the Leafs anyway. So you got to be very quick to this stuff as well. If it's a breaking news thing that happens and you think that it's going to make a major impact, you got to get on it quickly if that trade does happen and you don't get on it quickly, now you could potentially look to other teams, exactly like you said, Dimitri, where, okay, this team is likely to make a move. I think they're going to upgrade here. That's not reflected in the market right now. If you want to take a stance on that and you firmly believe that one of these teams is more likely to acquire one of the big name players, then go for it. But it's not, I mean, it's almost not worth the risk of doing that just because you're not going to get that advantageous of a price. So I forget if we talked about this when I had you on last time, because it was pretty close to the playoffs as well as kind of this point of the season, but I'm really interested in the idea of whether you're it's, it's statistically better to, or more lucrative potentially to just be playing these series individually once we get into the playoffs or whether you are better off kind of planting your flag. If you really have a lean one way and going in with a futures approach, you, you mentioned kind of like tying your money up. That, that's one of the issues. Of course, I think the other issue, especially if you're going the Eastern conference route, is it's shaping up to be such a gauntlet that I do think it kind of scares me off from feeling confident about any of those teams, even though I like each of them quite a bit for a variety of reasons, because they 
they're going to come across so many obstacles along the way that it just scares me off from thinking that they, they're going to be able to kind of jump over all of them without having some sort of an injury or some sort of a random puck luck thing along the way that ultimately undoes them. So typically speaking, these futures markets that we're talking about, the sports book has less confidence in pricing these markets. So you typically see this being a higher hold. They charge more. The VIG on these types of markets is, is a lot bigger than it is if you're just betting a, a game to game on a nightly basis. So to your point, Dimitri, you know, if, if you like a specific team or a long shot right now to, to, to win the Stanley Cup, and I'll just use a random, you say you like the New Jersey Devils to win the Stanley Cup, and you can find them, I don't know, in the range of 15 to one uh, around there right now. Yep. The likelihood of you getting a better price if you were just to bet the New Jersey Devils every series in the playoffs is much more likely because there's less VIG charged on that. So instead of placing a $100 bet to win 1500 on the Devils now, the way I would approach that is bet them in the, in the first series, uh, 100 bucks. And then if they, if they win, you take all the winnings and you roll it over onto the next series and so on and so forth. And you just roll it over until the Stanley Cup finals. The likelihood you're going to get a better price is, is upwards of 90%. And that's the way I think most people should approach it come playoff time, um, just because those series prices that, that books put out around playoffs have a lower hold, uh, a lower VIG than, than the futures markets we see right now. Okay, I have a devil's question for you because I like them quite a bit and I do think they are going to make a pretty aggressive move in the next week to to improve a, a potential weakness of theirs. Right now, Pinnacle, for example, has the Rangers at plus seven 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 five five um mm-hmm. to win the east and the devils at plus 742 but to win the cup the rangers are plus 1200 and the devils are plus 1500 what do you attribute that type of a gap to because it seems sort of counterintuitive is it just purely saying that in a individual series because it almost certainly will be devils rangers in round one by the looks of it based on the way the metro is shaping up mm-hmm. is it saying that you like the Devils in a series against the Rangers a bit more potentially, or it's pretty much a coin flip, but over projecting the full postseason because I guess the Rangers have that history of their run last year. And maybe because of the goaltending, you like their odds over making a longer run. Like that's the only way I can kind of interpret that. Right. So the answer is that these are treated by the sports book as separate markets. So that's counterintuitive to what we think, because obviously we, there's some sort of correlation, right? If one team is more likely to win the series, they're more like, they should be more likely to win the conference and to win the cup. Yeah. But when these, these are priced by sports books, they're moving based off of action in that specific market. So mm-hmm. in cases like this, you might just have somebody who has went out and bet the Rangers to win the Eastern conference, but didn't bet them to win the Stanley cup or right. something like that. And then the sport, the, the sports book, or the bookmaker there will see that action come in. If it's a sharper player, they'll move the line for that specific market. But oftentimes they won't, they won't take all the derivatives of that and start moving all of the other lines. So that's where we get all these off-market prices, different sports books. That's why I always preach line shopping for these exact same, these exact reasons that you're talking about. Each of these sports books are going to have a different quirk or some team that they're favoring more than others, just because of the people that bet at that sports book are betting that specific team. Yeah, I'm having a really tough time. I don't know if you feel this way as well, but I'm having a tough time myself sort of wrapping my head around handicapping the Eastern Conference and what I expect from the postseason because I mentioned sort of the gauntlet that is shaping up to be. I mean, I think everyone by now, especially those to the show, knows that the top six teams in the league by point percentage and by goal differential now are all in the Eastern Conference. 
Uh, here's a fun stat for you. Those six teams, the top six these teams, are 106, 29, and 21 against the West this season, which is like a over 750 point percentage. Um, so there's clearly this massive power imbalance, I guess, skewing towards the East. And unfortunately for those teams, they're all going to have to take each other out, right? Like a team like the Devils, which I do like, right now their path most realistically is shaping up to be the Rangers in round one, which is pretty much a coin flip. The Hurricanes in round two, and then either the Bruins, the Leafs, or the Lightning in the Eastern Conference Final, just to get to the Western to, to the Stanley Cup Final, and that's just brutal. Um, so even if I do like their own team quality, you kind of have to account for the environment around them, and that situation itself is pretty bleak. And that applies to, I guess, every team other than you could say the the Hurricanes, maybe just because they're probably going to play a wild card team that's going to be inferior to them in round one. And then maybe they play a team that just went through a seven, seven game regional bloodbath, uh, whoever wins that, that Rangers devil series. And so maybe their map roadmap is a bit cushier, but for the most part, each East team is going to have to go through this. For sure. I mean, so I, I go back to last year and I think about how great Florida looked during the regular season yep. and they look like a powerhouse and then they get into the playoffs and Washington just grinds them down in that series. And that can happen to any team in the playoffs, right? You look at Boston, for example, like Boston is such a great team in terms of point percentage this year, overall what they've done, but they're significantly outperforming most of their metrics because Allmark has been so good in net for them. And who knows what's going to happen to Allmark in the playoffs. They had to pull him from early on last year. Now this is a very different, like Allmark this season, this team, but it's, I don't want to say it's a different beast, but the variance in this sport is so high. And I don't think the average fan realizes that, right? Like there's just so much randomness in hockey. You, you look at the expected goals percentages in, in a lot of these series, look at Leafs lightning last year is basically a coin flip could go either way, but the lightning win, then the narratives of the Leafs can't pulling it out, pull out a big series, you know, they, they come to fruition again. And ultimately like I, I look at the top end, Boston and Carolina look like the best teams in the league to me. Do I want to bet them? you know, to, to win the Eastern conference at prices of three to one, four to one. No, absolutely not. With the randomness, randomness in hockey. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to take a flyer on them. The Rangers are appealing to me as a team, but like kind of, we got to pump the, like if we look at the Rangers over the course of the last month, the Rangers are shooting 12% at five versus five over the course of the last month, second highest team in the league, the Ottawa senators at 10 and a half percent. So it's kind of like any other market, right? I'm not saying that the Rangers can't win the cup or they can't win the East, but they're probably overpriced right now when we're looking at a betting market just based off of recency bias. So when I'm attacking these markets in particular, I'm always going to look to the team that I think is underachieving relative to what I think they actually are. The Devils are the team that stands out to me. Would I pick them straight up against the Rangers in a round one series? Maybe, maybe not, but the Devils going on a month now, pretty middling numbers in terms of expected goals, actual goals. I do agree with you, and I think that they're very primed to add someone at the deadline here. The Rangers have already done that. Um, so that's the team that stands out to me. But I'm just very much looking forward to the East um, because like, there's not much separating these teams. I know Boston on paper, paper, statistically speaking, what they've done for the stand in the standings right now, they look like the team to beat. But you get playoff time. And it's a different game. The randomness sets in. Uh, I, I really can't wait to see how it develops. Yeah, I, I think the other thing we probably underrate when you're trying to map out the playoffs is not necessarily that 
matchups are the be all end all. But I think like just because you win one series against a team that is perceived to be better than your upcoming opponent in round two doesn't mean that you're going to carry that over. There's no like transitive property there, right? Like I think like for a team like the Hurricanes, what they bumped into is a very real issue the past couple of years where when they play a team like the Rangers with Shesterkin, or when they play a team like the Lightning with Vasilevsky, a lot of what they do offensively throughout the regular season and have great success doing so does not translate to the same amount of success in the playoffs because those low percentage shots and that volume approach doesn't work against the two best goalies in the world. And so just because they're better than those teams doesn't necessarily mean they're going to win, whereas they might play a team that's better than the Rangers, but has a worse goalie. And all of a sudden the sort of the, the how I project the series between those two teams wildly differs, if you know what I mean. I'm a big believer in styles make fights. Um, and especially in the NHL, if you go back years now and you actually just use the head-to-head matchups of teams in the regular season and which team won the season series and then solely use that to predict your postseason matchups, you would have done very well. And I, I'm a firm believer in this. I never played sports at a high level, but I've played a ton of different sports. And there's always that certain team where you just feel really confident in, even if they might be better than you, because you just match up well with them or vice versa, where there's a team lower in the standings and you're like, this team always gets the best of us or they're a really tough matchup for us. Uh, and I do believe that in hockey as well. So I think there's something to be gained from that. But, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, you take Boston this year in the East. Boston has a, has a plus 92 goal differential this year, which is absurd. Now, that's because they've only allowed 118 goals. Yep. Allmark's save percentage is, is, is Shesterkin numbers last year, um, even if not a little bit better. And you look at the rest of the what we call the top teams in the East, right? Carolina, plus 44 goal differential. Leafs, plus 44. New Jersey, plus 43. Tampa Bay, plus 38. The Rangers, plus 36. These teams are, there's not much separating them at all. So maybe that is a hidden advantage in that if these teams match up, there's there's some sort of of matchup in like the stylistic play that lends itself to one team beating the other. Um, I don't know exactly what that is right now, but I'm always looking for like the outside the box thinking when it comes to sports betting. I think two people get hung up on the same metrics all the time and there's room for, trying to understand a little bit more. Okay. Well, so we agree that there's a massive power imbalance, right? All like all the best teams in the league are out East and that provides this kind of uncertainty. Would you agree? Or do you think that there is potential way to benefit from that uncertainty by taking some flyers on Western conference teams that might have an easier path to get there? Like you're talking about how all of these East teams are kind of huddled together that's sort of true in the West, just at a much lower scale, right? But it does kind of provide, especially based on the price where you're looking at a team like Vegas, for example, I think they're plus 1500 as well. They just, they might get Mark's own in the playoffs. That would obviously be a big game changer, but they're positioning themselves to create a bunch of cap space to make a big addition, whether it's Timo Meyer or Patrick Kane or who have you. Um, just the fact that it's within their range of outcomes because the quality of competition for them is going to be much lower. So they have fewer obstacles, does that make taking one of these teams, whether it's them, whether it's the Oilers, whether it's the Stars, um, as kind of more of a long shot to win the Cup, does that provide an interesting buying opportunity for you? For me, not so much. And the reason why is if there was a team in the West that I think was just going to run the gauntlet, let's say like Colorado last year, for example, right? Um, and I felt strongly that they were so much better than everyone else in the West 
and that they were going to have some short series, five, five game series, six game series, maybe even some sweeps or, or a sweep along the way, I'd be more inclined to do that. But I think that the East, the West, while the quality of the teams is worse than that of the East, I still think there's going to be some wars because there's not much separating the Western conference teams either. I think Colorado is the best team when they get Kale McCarr back, but they're not the level that they were last season. And for all, you know, for all these close series we're going to see in the East, in my opinion, there's not much separating these teams. The, the, the same issue is, is, you know, comes across in the Western conference where you just have this tightly, like this very tight cluster of all these teams that are going to give each other problems. So I think we're going to see a lot of six and seven game series there. I don't think we're going to see a Western conference team get to the finals and it's going to be, uh, they're, they're, they're like super fresh having right. run through everyone else. That's not to say they can't win. Like think probabilistically always, right? There's always a percentage chance that a team can pull off a West team could beat one of the top East teams. I just don't see it as all that probable. Um, especially, you know, you cited the stats of the East versus West this year. That was like a, a very good betting angle for the first few months of the season for those yeah. who caught on markets adjusted to that now. But I, if I, if I'm betting the West, it's more so who's going to win the West rather than a team to win the Stanley cup. Unless I, I think there's egregious odds there. And I just, I just don't see any egregious odds on the board. That's true. No egregious odds. Uh, the, the, the way I was thinking about it was just and kind of why I lined up those two questions or those two talking points back to back was let's say it was like Dallas came out of the West and Carolina came out of the East. I feel pretty confident saying that Carolina is a better team, but in mid June in a best of seven series between those two teams, I think the gap between them is much smaller than, than people would like to think. And especially because a team like Dallas could very easily follow that blueprint of being very stingy defensively, blocking everything around their net out. Jake Ottinger having a remarkable series and winning the Con Smythe. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily being priced appropriately. Now the Stars might lose in five games in round one to literally any team they play because that's how the playoffs work. But that's also, especially this year, how the West is shaping up. But I, I do think that the best six teams in the league are out East, but that doesn't, by the time that it gets whittled down to one, and you're just having that head-to-head in the Stanley Cup final, I'm not entirely sure that it's going to matter as much as it seems to right now. That's possible. Also, you have to, like, the matter in which a team gets to the Cup final is going to dictate what the price is on the Cup final. Typically, we see teams that just get, you know, their, their market rating gets elevated so much in the playoffs because they look so good as a playoff team. But to your point, if Carolina and Dallas meet in the finals, I, I'm not, I can't pull up my simulator now and just run what I would make the series, but we're probably going to get something in the range of like Carolina minus 200 in that series. And even then that's, that's 67% implied win probability. It's not like this is like a 90%, 10% type of thing. One out of every three times those teams meet in the finals, the stars are going to win. The Western conference team's going to win. This is just a product of the sport. This is yeah. hockey. Like, and, and the Stanley cup, if you go through year by year, it's not always the best team that wins. It's the best. It's the team that got you know hottest or had the best stretch run. And in a lot of cases, we'll look at the Stanley Cup winner, and their peripherals are not even all that good. They got very good goaltending performance in a short span or or something. So the randomness of the sport is you know needs to be accounted for. I, I just again for me, I'm always I'm always taking into account the price in the market, right? And if I'm going to go out and bet the stars at what 18 to one right now, best price in market. Most sports books are 14, 15 to one. That's just not good enough for me to have to run the gaunt to, to have to win three series in the yeah. West and then very, very likely be a big underdog to a team in the East. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's fair. I'm just trying to create some intrigue in the Stanley Cup final, you know, and I, I yep. do, I do think it will be there actually. But uh, okay, let's take a break here while we still can, and then we're, I've got a few other topics that I want to hit with you uh, on the way back. You are listening to the Hockey PDO Cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. with Rob Pizzola. Rob, before we move on to something else, I wanted to just close the loop on this conversation about the West. When I was looking about at the uh, the futures market and the Stanley Cup odds, I was a bit surprised to see how much Vegas is still sort of baking in the threat of the Avs, um, where they're a very significant favorite out of all the West teams. And I think they're, from what I found, behind only the Bruins, I believe, in terms of the pecking order in the league. Now, on the one hand, that kind of seems surprising based on the season they've had, but then kind of quietly and a, and a sort of under talked about storyline is they've played themselves into a spot where regardless of how healthy they get the rest of the way, they have a pretty realistic shot at actually being number one in the central division, which seemed like, you know, a completely impossible task as recently as about a month ago. But I believe they're like five points back now of the stars they have a couple games in hand on them. They play the Stars and the Jets two twice each um, the rest of the way. So they really kind of control their destiny in their own hands and not for a team of that quality that it matters what their what their roadmap is, whether they have home ice, whether they're atop the Central or not, because I think they could win from any slot in the West, assuming they were healthy. But Vegas seems to be pretty confident that that is going to be the case. Now, with that being said, if they were fully healthy, I imagine they'd be like right there with the Bruins in terms of cup favorites and they're not. So they're adjusting that slightly, but still like they're, they're leaning pretty heavily in that direction. I think. Yeah. I mean, typically you don't see this right at, at this point in the year, a team that's third in their division has three to one odds to win the Western conference. The next highest team on, on the horizon is the Edmonton Oilers at six to one. So definitely, I mean, these, the future markets are not dumb, right? These are people that are betting into it and shaping the lines. And they know at some point, Colorado is going to be healthy. And when they are, they are the best team in the West. Um, that doesn't mean that they're going to win the Western Conference, but I think it's priced appropriately. You get this logjam of these other teams, though, that are in there. And all of them have like some sort of significant fault. Edmonton struggling through goaltending. Vegas, the same thing. Dallas and Minnesota have some scoring issues. Calgary, for some reason, like Markstrom has been a problem, but they're just never going to live up to their peripherals, right? Expected goals through the roof. Everybody falls in love with their expected goals for percentage. Guess what? They can't keep pucks out of the net uh, over and over on a nightly basis. But uh, I mean, it's really hard to make an argument against Carol uh, against Colorado, excuse me, like yeah. at full strength, but there's an assumption being baked into the number that at some point they're going to be at full strength as well. And that might not necessarily be the case. They don't have the depth that they did in years past, um, it's there's definitely more question marks surrounding that team. Uh, but personally, Dimitri, it's not surprising to me uh, that we see them out there. And, and like you mentioned, it feels like Colorado's had a dismal season and they're, they're just like, they're, they could have the number one seed. In, yeah, in, they like, really they can't. Like Vegas is leading the Western Conference right now, 73 points in 57 games. Colorado won 67 and 55. They could end with the one seed. And we basically, I don't want to say overlook them all year, but it felt like they were just a shell of last season's team. 
Yeah. I mean, it speaks to the star power they have where McKinnon, especially recently, and then Rarenton when he was carrying them for a while, just how great they are. But also I feel like the what we've been talking about, which is the mediocrity of the West, right? Where no one really ran away with it. It seemed like Vegas was going to have to start, then Dallas and was in pole position for a bit, but all these teams have kind of come back down to earth and really all leveled off. And so it is interesting. I, I, I'm with you in the sense that I still view them as like the boogeyman in the Western conference. Like I would, they would still be my pick just because I don't want to be on the wrong end of picking against them or saying it's not their year. And then coming to game one and you're seeing Makar and Landis Cog in the lineup there, and they're just running up the score on whoever they play. But it is a bit presumptuous in my opinion to just assume that the switch is going to be flipped from a health perspective because it's like all these guys are going to be back for game one of the playoffs, but that assumes that until then there won't be any other new extenuating injuries and not to mention the fact that Kale McCarr is out in concussion protocol right now. And the timeline of that is, is highly precarious, but there's just so many moving parts. So I guess that is baked in the fact that they're not right there with the Bruins and there's still gap between them, but it's clear that they've sort of just the potential that they provide is so much higher than any other Western conference counterpart. And to your point about Makar, this this is a, an injury, a concussion, where we've seen time and time again players across every North American sport return from it, and then they resuffer one. And it, and if it's a guy like Kale Makar, who's basically, you know, the, the, I don't want to say he's your franchise because you have a lot of great players over there and superstars, but ultimately that's not a guy you're going to rush into action if he has a second concussion. You're going to take it easy with him. So exactly like you said, the issue with this is that there's an assumption being baked in that Colorado is going to be um, you know, healthy at some point. And that's not a necessity. And that's why I would never make that bet. The team that intrigues me, honestly, in the West right now is the Minnesota Wild. Because mm-hmm. I feel like they found their number one now in Gustafson. And again, I, I, I approach a, a market exactly like it was the stock market. The betting market is very similar, right? Buy low, sell high. If we want to look at the Minnesota Wild in the span of the last month, they've played 12 games. Do you want to take a guess at their shooting percentage at five five on five? Uh, it is remarkably low because I know that they went like seven games without scoring one without Kaprizov on the ice. So I'm going to guess it's like 5%. It is even lower than that. It's wow. 4.1% over the past month. Now, they might underperform their expected goals consistently because they don't have enough goal scoring talent there altogether. But you're not going to run at that rate for a long period of time. Water finds its level, right? So it's it's going to find its level for this team, and I think that they're going to go on a run at some point. Now, do they are they good enough to win the West? That's debatable. They probably need to add a piece at the deadline or, or do something. But again, all these teams are just so close to one another that it, it's really difficult to to look at anyone in the Western Conference right now and not nitpick something on their roster and say, this is going to be a problem for them in the playoffs. Every single team has that right now, with the exception of Colorado, but they have that uncertainty in that in, in the Makar injury right now as well. So uh, Minnesota is the team that stands out to me. I've been trying to get in on some futures for them for the past couple of weeks or so. The Jets and the Stars are struggling to score goals as well. That's going to be the case for both those teams, I think, going forwards. But Minnesota, you you just can't shoot. Like it, It's almost impossible. This is 99th percentile bad shooting at 5v5 over the course of a month. It is, and that's clearly impacting the perspective on them. I will say, though, part of my concern about that would be just how dependent they are on Kaprizov and Zuccarello in the sense that if you get into a playoff setting, it becomes much easier to just load up all of your defensive resources on slowing them down. And then if you have any depth yourself up front, 
you are just going to absolutely cave in lines two through four for them. And I guess the the pushback to that would be there's very few teams in the Western Conference that are positioned to do that other than Colorado, I guess, when they're healthy. And even they aren't as deep as they were in the past. Um, but it's that would be a concern for me. I know their power play has been carrying them in the meantime. And, and you're right. Um, you know, giving Gustafson more starts over Flurry certainly gives me confidence in them moving forward. But I'd be wary in a playoff setting against a really good team, just sitting there with a Minnesota Wild ticket and then watching them lose four to two with both goals created on the power play by Kaprizov and then absolutely nothing else the rest of the way. Yeah. And we haven't really seen like a, a, a you know, they haven't really split up Kaprizov and Zuccarello on that first line either, which they can do to, to make it a little bit deeper down the roster. But ultimately, I mean, all these teams like this to go back to it. I think you look at line three and four of most of the Western conference contenders and you'll be like, ah, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. I don't think that there's a huge mismatch coming up here. Um, I mean, we have to be concerned about, you know, Brodeen's been out, I think, for a couple games now, or at least has an injury for for uh, the Wild on defense, and their depth is is not there either at all these positions. But again, this is not this is not a, uh, I think, in terms of probabilities, right, and probabilistically, and I think that right now people are just super super down on that team for for something that just cannot continue to happen going for, they, they cannot possibly shoot at this range for a longer period of time. It, it will correct itself. And just by virtue of that, I think that they have value. Well, and they're in a really unique spot financially. Um, you know, they, they would use some of the cap space on, on helping facilitate the Ryan O'Reilly trade and getting a future fourth out of it. I think people were scratching their heads, but it's rare. You see a situation where they have so much room to add salary for the rest of this season but absolutely no wiggle room moving forward. Like they cannot take on any future money heading into next season, but they do have the banked cap space to add some pieces here. So it limits their acquisition uh, potential in terms of like, it has to be a rental basically, or it has to be money in the future going out to bring future money coming in. So I'm not sure how much they can improve their team. And they were so mediocre for a while there that I think Bill Guerin was like, well, I'm not going to blow all my draft capital on marginally improving this team that's probably going to lose in round one anyway. But they've won a couple of games here recently, and I think with the, with the general shape or state of the Western Conference, at least in the next week, they do have within their range of outcomes them just deciding to just add an impactful player that can help them the rest of the way, which would also improve their outlook for the rest of the season as well. So I think it's uh, it's not the worst call I've heard. I, I, I do have my concerns about them, but it is interesting at the very least. I'm also super high on Gustafson. Like, I think he's really, really good. And and just just... Metrics wise this year, 16 goals saved above expected in 26 games. That's eighth in the league. And he's played like 15 games less than a lot of the other starters there. Now, is that repeatable over time? Does he start to develop a flaw that teams start to expose? That's certainly possible. But, you know, you look at the cream of the crop in terms of Western Conference goals. You have UC Soros, probably not going to be in the playoffs. Uh, Jake Ottinger obviously is there and like he's going to be the guy. Connor Hellebuck as well. And I don't think Gustafson is all that far off from those guys. I personally don't. Um, and I think it's been shown in the metrics so far this year. So I think that's like a sneaky thing where the average fan is not, is not going to call, you know, Philip Gustafson a, a top goalie in the league or like a top 10 guy right now. But I think low key, he really has been. Hmm. I don't know. I, I think Hellebuck is so good. And yeah it's it's a bit frustrating for me because you look at like the Vesna market right now, for example, 
and Allmark is such a heavy favorite compared to anyone. And I think Hellbuck's second. And then it's kind of this like just jam they just jammed in everyone else after that, right? Like they jammed in Sorokin and then it's like Ottinger, Soros, Vasilevsky, you go on after that. And Omark probably will win it because he's like 29, four and one, has a sub two goals against, has like a 940 save percentage. His goal save above expected is is really good. But I just I struggle with it seems like we are gonna be he's gonna be rewarded for the team success when I think we all agree that it's a pretty advantageous environment for him to be in. Now he's certainly held up his end of the bargain, but I don't know how you could look at them right now and be like, Linus Elmark is a better goaltender than Connor Hellebuck. I just kind of disagree with that. And I thought that's what the Vesna was about, but I guess, I guess the, the, the awards market or the futures here seem to be like what we think will happen, which is the voters will go that direction as opposed to what we think should happen based on like merit. I, I totally agree with you. If I had to vote for Vesna, I would vote Sorokin for Vesna. I think the numbers that Sorokin has put to Ilya Sorokin has 43 goals saved above expected in 44 games at even strength. He is literally, or this is at all strengths, he's literally saving one goal per game versus his like when you put that into that context, the Islanders are a dumpster fire. Their roster stinks. And the fact that they're even in contention for the playoffs, in my opinion, I, 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 would, I wouldn't even hesitate to vote Sorokin in first. Now, Hellebuck and Allmark is, is debatable, in my opinion, because I, I don't necessarily think Hellebuck has carried the Jets this year, but he's, he's been extremely consistent. It's just really hard to argue with that Allmark record. Yeah. Like, it's, it's tough. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to have to have a Vesna vote this year because I'd be the guy that votes Sorokin and I'd have some explaining to do and people be like, how could you, po-? they're probably going to miss the playoffs. How can you vote for a goalie that they would, the, 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 if the Islanders didn't have Sorokin and net, they'd be picking in the top five this year. They would. The wild thing is that Barlamov as backup has also been probably like one of the 10 best goalies in the league. It's such um, a good combo. They have an unreal combo of goaltending there. And that. Here's the Go thing, ahead. Rob, and, and and I think this is what's going to be working against them because people see that and like, oh, well, both of them have been good. I bet you half the voting body is just working under the assumption that this is like the Barry Trotz Islanders where this is a good system for them to be in and that's juicing the numbers, which is just not factually correct at all. But unfortunately, in hockey, people very rarely update their priors. And so I think there's just going to be some of that train of thought, and that's why he's not getting the credit he deserves for the season he's having. So I've bet against the Islanders more than any other team in the league this season. So I've, I've watched a lot of Islanders games and I, I can tell you, and I don't have the zone time stats up in front of me at advanced metrics. If you watch the Islanders games, they are mostly getting caved for the majority of the game. The other teams just cycle at will in their, their end. They're getting good quality chances. This is nowhere close to the Islanders' defense that we were accustomed to from years past. For crying out loud, they have Matt Martin on the first line right now. Like This is the type of, of roster that they have put together there. It's just not deep. They're extremely reliant on goaltending. Um, so, I mean, it, awards markets always frustrate me because I think too much of it is always pinned on team success. Um, and I, 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 I don't like... It's always the talk of like, remember, remember Connor McDavid a few years... Like, can Connor McDavid win the heart trophy if the team doesn't make the playoffs. It's like, well, of course he he can. He's the most valuable player to his team. You remove him from that team and they drop off more than any other team in the league. That's, you know, that's your MVP right there. And I feel the same about goaltending, right? I, I get that Allmark 
and I, I don't want to discredit him in any way. He's had an amazing season. That record is absurd. But if we're just saying, okay, you remove this player from this team who drops off the most, I actually think it's Sorokin if you take him away from the Islanders. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. And and Allmark has been great. You're right. But the, that defensive environment in, across every game state is just so good. Even like on the penalty kill and everything, the, the Bruins have been preposterous. Yeah, I feel that way about the Calder market where Baneers right now is minus 225. And I really think the gap between him and Owen Power, who's somehow not even second on the list at plus 1200, is not nearly that that divergent. The only issue is that Baneers is playing on a team that's winning a lot of games and they're a surefire playoff team and he's got more points because he's a forward and just because of the way Owen Power plays it's not getting nearly the credit it deserves and so you get that gap and there's just no way like he's going to be left off a lot of finalist ballots like he probably will finish fourth because there's going to be people that vote like Stuart Skinner and but but and... but if I I like if Stuart Skinner had been if they just switched to him being like the true number one when Campbell was struggling earlier in the year, Skinner would have won the Calder because he's had a very good year, but they keep going back to Campbell because they have to somehow justify that contract or they have to like try to get him to find his game. But I think Skinner has been very good. And in a year where like you look at the top of the Calder board, I think a, a starting goalie that w- led their team to the playoffs with good numbers would have won the Calder this year. So I still think Skinner can win the Calder. Honestly, I don't think it's just a, I mean, odds from an odds perspective, it seems very likely it's not going to go that way, but I could mm. see a story being built around them if he has a run down the stretch because it seems like they're going to ride him a little bit more going forwards here. They will. I think his numbers did fall off a bit recently, but yeah, I, I, you're right. I, I think he's probably their superior option. Like I'd be very interested in seeing that. All right, Rob, uh, we got to get out of here. Unfortunately, I had so many other things that I want to talk about with you, but uh, we're going to have to save him for another day. I'll let you on the way out. Let the listeners know where they can check you out and if you have anything you want to promote yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, own the Hammer Betting Network. You can check it out at thehammer.bet or you can head over to YouTube. Just type in Hammer HQ at YouTube. Uh, Subscribe to the channel if you like the content there. But we do uh, a lot of hockey content daily called Edge Work. It's a daily picks show, 1030 a.m. Eastern every morning. So just check that out if you're into it. Uh, And BetStamp is my app for line comparison. Uh, you can download it on Android or iOS, or you can check out the site at betstamp.app. Awesome, man. Well, this is a blast as always. Thank you for coming on. Thank you to the listeners for checking us out. And we'll be back tomorrow with another episode to close out the week here on the Hockey PDO cast streaming on the Sportsnet Radio Network.